I'd like you to turn, would you please, to Acts chapter 13. This passage really carries a testimony for me because if I remember accurately, around 2016, having anticipated for a long time and from the year 2000, God spoke to me about this day, but he didn't tell me it'd be 21 years later. Um, and so watching for the times and seasons, um, and I would never move out of the senior leadership role until there was a successor. It would be ridiculous to abandon the church and leave it leaderless. Anyway, there have been various twists and turns in that story. But around 2016, this passage about separate to me Saul and Barnabas for the work that I've called them to do was very much on my heart. And I was so close to sharing it prophetically with the conference of that year, I think it was at Westminster Chapel, but somehow the Holy Spirit seemed to move in a different direction and, and I left it but kept praying. And I've referred to this a couple of times. I just want to leave it with you tonight. Uh, excuse me, I wanted to be brief and um, I've already, so my time starts now. All right, here we go. Um, so, nope. That is the timer, and that's going, that is going to ring an alarm bell, and I'm not going to let you know when that alarm goes off. I'll just pretend. Okay, here we go. All right, so let's, let's just read. Uh, very informal tonight. Let's read Acts 13, verses 1 to 5. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. This is the final message, I think it's message number five, in a kind of valedictory series I've been doing on the age of the Holy Spirit. Everything that we have, we owe to the Holy Spirit, learning how to discern the voice of the Holy Spirit, learning how to respond to the Spirit's promptings in your life, sometimes very soft and gentle, other times very strong and forceful. All of this is really the secret, not just of Christian life, but also of Christian ministry. The age of the Spirit indicates the period of time when Jesus ascended back to the Father, physically absent from us, but received the promise of the Father, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and poured out the Spirit upon us. And therefore, it's the age of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit 
mediates for us, manifests for us the presence not of Jesus, but also of the Father. The Holy Spirit propels us, sanctifies us, reveals God's heart to us, gives us understanding and empowers us at times with supernatural endowments which enable us to do what God has called us to do. And my theme really is about apostleship. Apostleship. Many years ago, I had a dream, a supernatural dream, and an angel of the Lord came to me in this dream. Whether this is like I'm describing it might have just been Colin Dye type dream with a bit of significance, or it might have actually been as, was as real as I'm describing it, but the way I'm describing it might actually have been the case. It may have actually been an angel. And, and brought to me a pair of shoes. These shoes were beautiful. And I knew that these shoes had all the colors of jewels and amazing things. And they were apostolic shoes. And I wanted to put them on. But I looked at the shoes, I looked at my feet, and I could see they didn't fit. They were too big. And it was as if the Holy Spirit was saying, hold on to these because the time is coming when I will release you into the full apostolic ministry that I have for you. I want to cut through some of the misconceptions here. Uh, I have seen various moves in charismatic churches which people have emphasized apostleship and apostolic ministry. I won't comment on them, just to say that at times we've been left with the impression that the apostle is the numero uno of the ministries. This is the ministry with great governmental authority, and if you like, you can graduate up through the ranks till finally you reach at the top, second only to the Pope, and you are a great apostle. I don't see it that way. I see apostleship as simply one of the big five, apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and they are all essential in their own way. They have different capacities and do different things. And I, this isn't going to be a teaching message. I just wanted to share some stuff with you about exactly what is happening from tonight onwards as you release Amanda and I into this ministry. Let me just touch on some things, the pertinent things. Verse 5 says, after fasting and prayer, they laid hands on them and sent them off. Sent them off. Actually, the word is sent them out. Thrust them out. Sent them out. Um, but when we read carefully, they were sent out by the Holy Spirit. Uh, sorry, I was reading verse uh, referring to verse 5, but read verse 3. But let's go on, verse 4. Uh, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit. They were sent out by the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit 
called them. In verse 3, after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. The word actually is not sent out, but released. Okay, so let me go over that again. Verse 3, the church released them. Valuable thing, but the church released them. Verse 2, they were separated, set apart by the Holy Spirit. Verse 5, sent out by the Holy Spirit. So this is why I speak about the age of the Spirit. The, the church of Jesus Christ must be led and directed by the Holy Spirit. Now, this was not a local church board decision. They didn't meet and deliberate over this ministry and decide on it. No. All the believers did, and those who were party to this, was recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit and said, we must release Saul and Barnabas. Now, why was that such a big thing? Well, the story is very clear. This was the breakthrough church, Antioch church, the first real church amongst the Gentiles. And Barnabas was sent down to help them. And he said, I need help. And he found out Paul and brought Paul to teach. And they taught for two years. It was a fruitful two years. Um, they did it in two. I've tried to do it in 30 years. But anyway, I hope the result is a little similar. Because at the end of those two years with this teaching ministry, the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Think about that. It should blow your mind because our job in the 21st century is to try to, try to take Christians and make them disciples. Not all Christians are disciples. There are so many undiscipled believers in the world. But no, they all were disciples, but as a result of the discipleship, they became so like Christ that the pagan neighbors said, oh, there goes those Christians. They were insulting them. And they said, you can't insult us. You have just paid us a great compliment. Christians, you mean we're like Jesus? We will take it. And that name has stuck from that day to this. This was the teaching ministry. Teaching ministry is discipling ministry. It's not about just having uh, extensive knowledge. It is about shaping and forming Christ in other people. And we can disciple to an extent from the pulpit. Certainly we can teach and preach and present the word of God. But the real work of discipleship happens close up, just as Jesus called his first disciples and said, I want you to be with me where I am so you can see me, you can hear me, and, and did exactly what I was describing earlier. Of course, I got it from Jesus when I was talking about some of the assistants that I've discipled over the years. We traveled together, we ate together. They saw me on good days and bad days. And as you know, I only have good days. And, um, and I, I said, if you stick close to me, I'm going to tell you exactly as it is. It's going to shock you, 
You're going to be disillusioned. But I want to tell you, we, we, we have to be real. And so from that close proximity, often through mistakes, they learned. I've learned mostly through my mistakes. And um, I'm happy to pass on to anybody who will listen. By the way, don't try it this way. I tried it and it didn't work. And so here we have this teaching ministry, but then also alongside that is a prophetic ministry. There were teachers and prophets. And I think this has been what we've tried to go for over down through the years. The word and the spirit. Teaching ministry as well as modeling and mentoring and setting examples is also about having such deep knowledge and insights into the scriptures that can only come through hours of study and openness to what the Spirit is saying uh, and searching the scriptures. And yeah, you guys are right. I really want people to apply their minds to love God in the scriptures and to spend that hard work and it always brings fruit. But it is not enough. We need also to have the voice of the Holy Spirit prophetically, charismatically releasing so that we are men and women of the Word and the Spirit. And so that's how it operated. Now, what I wanted to draw attention to was that the ministry that the Spirit had called Paul and Barnabas to was apostolic. I'll just give some verses. We, we won't turn to it now, but if you go to Acts 14, verse 4 and verse 14, you will see that from that moment onwards, Saul and Barnabas were referred to as apostles. You may say, well, yes, they were apostles because they were sent out by the church, but we've established that the church didn't send them out. The church released them and said, we're prepared to let you go. And I am deeply grateful to our church board, to our leaders, and also to uh, eventually to the uh, uh, national leadership team. That, uh, as a, and it has been a struggle, absolute struggle, because we, we do things so differently here. We are totally um, compliant with all governance issues and denominational issues, we are, we be, I believe, in total uh, compliance in governance, but I don't believe in conformity. Kensington Temple didn't get to what it is and has been by conformity to find out what other people are doing and do the same. We have had an apostolic tendency to break out of the mold, to uh, chart new territory to do things that the Spirit directly shows us without having to run it by local church board committees. God help us for committees. They're the worst thing in my life. They're necessary in certain things. But they didn't go and ask permission from some local church board and say, we need authorization from you. The authority came from above. 
and the authority upon my life and Amanda's life has not come from man, has not come from a local church board or a national executive. It has come from the Holy Spirit. And that's how we have operated. Now, I understand about structures and decisions and denominational stuff. I really do. Up until two weeks ago, I was the longest standing um, trustee of our own national denomination. So I've been there. I have spent two and a half years, if you count up the hours, in committee meetings over the last 30 years. No wonder why I feel like I need a little break. But anyway, uh, it's been important work. It's been, and I understand that. Understand how we have to work things out. But mark my words, God has called us. God is sending us out and you are releasing us. Thank you, thank you, thank you for doing that. That's what is so, so special. Now, positions, my position will change instantaneously. I have requested that as soon as this meeting is over, they will peel my name off the board outside of the church and place my successor's name immediately so that nobody's going to feel better. We can't take his name down. Take it down and put up my successor because this is a day of new things. Our position will alter dramatically. In our apostolic role, we will reserve no authority of leadership and government over this church or over any other uh, previous relationship to a previous position. And positions are important. But you know, take away the title senior pastor, which sounds like an advanced can of spaghetti. Anyway, but don't worry about that. Take away reverend. Take away the title Elam minister. I will, I'll be an Elam um, uh, ECI minister, not, not an alliance minister from here onwards. Take all the position away. Take the titles away. Take the Take the tie away, I've done it. Take the dog collar away, only worn it once when I had to protect myself in Kenya, but that's another story. And I will be the same person. I'll wake up tomorrow the same person as I went to bed tonight. My authority, my anointing, my spiritual gifts and calling have nothing whatsoever to do with any position I hold or ever held, except those positions have been the place where I can express in a way uh, something that God has given me. So this is where my eyes are. My eyes are upon heaven. My eyes are upon the Lord. It's the Lord who's commissioned me. It's the Spirit of God who has done this. And I know it's been difficult for me and difficult for some people around me. I know that. But it's forged in the furnace of Holy Spirit agonizing intercession and, and levels of burning purification so that we can be that much more refined by the Spirit, that much more ready to hear His voice. And so uh, these, were, these were my terms. I, I suggested that we should call this role adjunct missionary because missionary suggests that we're being sent further afield Adjunct means that we are part of KT, but not under, as it were, 
the, the governmental structure, or not part of that governmental structure. But that, that's just words. That's just words for committees. The truth is this. We are being released into our wider prophetic and apostolic ministry. Now, the word apostle, as I said, isn't some spiritual rank, uh, ranking number one next to prophets. It really is something that we all share together. Uh, and as you have sat under this apostolic ministry and many others, influencers, not just Bible teachers, prophets, apostles, we brought all the ministries uh, frequently uh, into the house so that we can all grow. We've had some of the best Bible teachers the world can have, that I know of. Derek Prince, superlative teacher. R.T. Kendall, whose name means Bible teacher, or put in another way, R.T. Right Theology, as you know, he often says. But we've brought prophets, sometimes crazy prophets, uh, and we've had evangelists. I mean, Bonke has preached here evangelistically. Um, and we've had some great apostolic leaders, Cesar Castellanos and many others, and Cindy Jacob is a prophet. But there are prophets in the house, and, and we are all fully equipped by the Holy Spirit's provision for us. But on apostleship, I want to say one thing. There was a massive difference between Saul, Paul, and Barnabas because Paul was a foundation apostle. That's very important. Barnabas was not. Paul was. What's a foundation apostle? The 12 apostles, and really there could only be 12, really, if you read the scripture. These were the first generation foundational apostles who were given a specific opportunity to bear witness to what they'd seen and heard of the life of Jesus and a specific revelatory authority to take from what they saw and heard of the teaching of Jesus and fill it out with apostolic revelation until the whole New Testament was formulated and to interpret such things as the death and resurrection of Jesus. So four foundation and primary apostles for us today, it's the scripture. They were infallible, and we have that infallible record of all that we need to know. So I, when, there's no more apostles, we need prophets like that today, but apostles and prophets continue, much like in the form of Barnabas. He was still an apostle, but not used in the same way as the 12 and Paul were used in the foundation of New Testament revelation. Now, what was their job? I'm going to leave you with this very briefly. Apostles for today. Let me put it in just two or three sentences which actually focus on the main points. In the book, Fivefold Ministry, there's much more. But I want to leave you with this because these are important to me. Apostolic ministry is a breakthrough ministry. What do I mean by breakthrough? You're never satisfied with the status quo. You're never satisfied with how things are. They can always be better. Never satisfied with what you've achieved so far. You're not driven by ambition, but you see beyond the boundaries to 
that which lies outside of the boundaries. And, and, and I have been so desperate over the years to cause and help the church see that there's nothing impossible with God. And we must break out of our confines, whether they're denominational, traditional, or personal confines, to cross boundaries and to reach out to have uh, conquer new territories. Uh, the word for this uh, today, as people describe it, is entrepreneurial apostleship. They are those who seek new ground, break new ground, innovative, reformative, expansive, searching new frontiers, new horizons, and new territories. And now the breakthrough of that seems like I am defining it in ministry terms, all right? So this is all about your program. This year, we reached one, two, three nations. Next year, we're going to do six nations. And a lot of apostolic people speak in ministry terms. And so be it. But what I want to leave with you is what apostolic ministry does for you. Sitting under an apostolic ministry, a ministry where nothing is impossible and we're led by the Holy Spirit, the breakthrough ministry spills over in your life, your personal life. Every one of those people that spoke, or many of them, I could give the testimony for the day and the place where they met with God and they had a breakthrough in their life. It might have been through a word given, it might have been through prayer. I, 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 I remember people who are now in top leadership in our denomination. I remember one person came in here, I called his name, and before I could touch him, he was flung to the ground by the Holy Spirit, and it got up different. Now in a high position in our denomination. People like Emerson and Hugh Saw and Sam Sandin and uh, Paul Olenius and Daniel Stenmark and many, many others. We've all testified to that. The, the God grants a breakthrough anointing to apostolic ministry so that the people of God can have breakthrough. I want to tell you there's much more juice in that orange yet. And I tell you this, don't Settle for where you are. God wants you to break out of your spiritual confinement, to leap over walls which are called impossibilities. As Jack Hayford says, prayer is nothing short of invading the impossible. And so don't stay where you are. Don't stay within the tram lines of your current achievement. Break out of those things. And you know what? Many times... They said to me, it couldn't be done. And you know what? They were right. It wasn't done. But many other times they said it couldn't be done. I didn't believe it. And we did it. And that's what will happen to you if you continue in apostolic ministry and submit to apostolic leadership. What will happen is you will have a personal breakthrough. You will have a personal ministry breakthrough. Your family will have a breakthrough. 
Your life will have a breakthrough. Your children will have a breakthrough. Your business will have a breakthrough. Apostolic ministry, yes, it is about preaching the gospel to the nations. Of course it is. But it's about bringing us all to a level of spiritual breakthrough. I want you to write these things down and then I'm going to finish. New frontiers, new horizons, new territory. Would you write those down? You see, the operative word is new, whether it's a frontier, a horizon, or territory. It's all saying the same thing, but one of these words is going to mean something to you. Write it down, mark the date, and ask God to give you new frontiers, breaking boundaries, limitations, new horizons, and new territories. What is it going to be for you? A breakthrough in your prayer life? The reality of intercession. The reality of intercession. I'll tell you one story. It's slightly mystical and I hope you can handle it. When I had a breakthrough in what it meant to be a true intercessor, and all it is is saying, Holy Spirit, you can wake me up anytime you want to, middle of the night, speak to me, but I prefer to sleep, but if you want me. I heard a knock on the door. Nobody was there. Amanda was not knocking at the door. I opened the door, nobody there. And I thought, oh, well, I better pray. I prayed. And an intercessory burden came upon me and I prayed and prayed and prayed. And um, uh, I, I, I interceded. A couple of days later, a lady told me that she had a dream and there I was dressed in a white robe. I know what that means. It's priestly intercession. It's nothing to do with the way I wear my house coats. And in the dream, I was praying for her and she woke up in the morning completely healed. Completely healed. Right, now, why do I tell you that story? I tell you that story is if, if you are working with a breakthrough ministry, there is nothing important. That doesn't say that Every time you're sick, just go and have a sleep and somebody will give you a dream. No, 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 no. That's, those are examples of something. And when you discover what is possible, truly possible, by anointed, sanctified, spirit-led, real agonizing intercession, you will become addicted. And that's a breakthrough in prayer. Some of you, it's a breakthrough in miraculous. Many of you, a breakthrough in signs and wonders, especially words of knowledge. Be released right now. Touch the life. Breakthrough. You'll be walking down the street and a name will come to you. A word will come to you. You will know what you wouldn't ordinarily know. Breakthrough. We need that kind of revelation. Breakthrough in finances. The ability to pray down from heaven without twisting people's arms and, uh, and weeping before them about the needs of your life or the little children you're trying to support. 
Faith for finances. Faith for souls. Do you know why most people you witness to don't believe in Jesus after the witness? Because you don't believe before you witness to them that they're going to. Finish with the story. I'm trying to cut, trying to come into land, and I really am going to. Now, finish with this story just to show you. Charles Haddon Spurgeon um, ministered in everything short of revival in the 1800s here, the Baptist preacher Spurgeon and Spurgeon's tabernacle. When Spurgeon died, the whole of London turned out for his funeral. There were as many people at his funeral as there were at Lady Diana's funeral, proportionately to the population. And uh, he was a great preacher. Every time he preached, many, many people come to Christ. And so some pastors followed him and said, but please tell me, pastor, every time you preach, people come to Christ. It doesn't happen every time I preach. And Spurgeon said, oh, you don't believe that every time you preach, people are going to come to Christ. He said, no, I don't. So he said, that's why you don't see it. There, are, there is work that we have to do that only a new anointing, a new reserve of faith reserved for this season, only that new reserve of faith that he wants to implant in you will get the job done. 